You ever wonder what assistant coaches on your favorite football team staff are making, you know, in terms of salaries and all that? Well, it became public knowledge yesterday, and so we're going to discuss the salaries for the assistant coaches, that assistant coaches pool and contracts, all that and more, plus hoops previews. That's your Friday, Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, welcome into it. This is your Friday Locked On Balls, and I'm your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you for hanging out with us here today and watching us here on Locked On Balls. Can't thank you enough. Tennessee basketball is coming up tomorrow. It's a big-time game. We're going to talk a lot of basketball uh, in this uh, show. Segment 2, we'll catch up with Grant Ramey, uh, one of my cohorts over at VolQuest.com. We'll break down and give you the official preview for Tennessee and South Carolina. That is coming up in segment number 3. Uh, but at the top of the show, we'll do assistant coaches' salary pool for Tennessee football, and that is your Friday show. Appreciate you guys for listening, making your first listen, and watching on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And big thanks to FanDuel Sportsbook. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more with FanDuel.com slash Locked On to go ahead and get started today. All right, so it became public. There was a Board of Trustees meeting on Thursday, and um, we, we, we now know it's public knowledge what uh, Tennessee's assistant coaches are making. The assistant coaches pool is uh, roughly $7 million for this upcoming uh, season. And, of course, there's some amendments to contracts and everything, but really there wasn't an awful lot of changes when you kind of look down into it. And I'll, I'll go down and specifically and tell you who is making how much, but uh, nothing of note changed for defensive coordinator Tim Banks or new wide receiver coach Kelsey Pope. Uh, newer, I mean, in terms of position coaches and strength coach Kurt Schmidt. But um, according to the amendments that were sent over to us at VolQuest.com, Willie Martinez, I found this kind of interesting. Willie Martinez got an increase in salary but did not get an extension on his contract. So his contract is set to run out and at, at concluding the 2023 season. So I know a lot of fans are frustrated. I know a lot of fans are annoyed with the secondary play for Tennessee and all that. And you see the far Willie and far Tim Banks. Well, Tim Banks is through contract through the 2024 season. So he's not going to go anywhere unless he wants to, um, in my estimation. Now, Willie Martinez, he's just under contract through the 2023 season. So I did kind of find that a little interesting. But when you look at what's happening here in 2023 salaries, the $7 million assistant coaching salary pool. So it starts at the top with defensive coordinator Tim Banks. And Tim Banks is set to make $1.5 million in 2023. His contract is running through the 2024 season. So this season and next season. Offensive coordinator Joey Halsey, who... Um, Halsley, who was making around $400,000 last year, more than doubled his salary. Of course, we went over this whenever he got the promotion to $850,000 for the 2023 season. His contract runs through the 2025 season. Now he's young. He's a first-time coordinator. And, I mean, this is Josh Heupel's offense, so that's why there's such a huge pay disparity between that of Tim Banks and that of Joey Halsley. If you remember, Alex Golish, I think in year one, was making like – maybe six, don't quote me, he was making like maybe six, 700000 
And then he got a big time raise going into year two where he's making, I believe, $1.2 million to be Tennessee's offense coordinator. So you got to start somewhere, and that's where Joey Halsey, Halsley, in terms of his coordinating salary, it's going to be at $850,000 this year. And, of course, it runs through the 2025 season. Glenn Ellerby, very highly paid. He's been with um, Josh Heupel for a long, long time. Uh, he is being paid $900,000 to coach the offensive line, and his contract runs through the 2025 season. Um, as long as you see Heupel, there will be Glenn Ellerby. That is es essentially his guy, and uh, he get paid like he gets paid like it as well at nine hundred thousand dollars. Rodney Gardner, defensive line coach, seven hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars, and he is under contract through the twenty twenty-four season. Of course, when his contract is up, it would be a no-brainer to extend that one if he wanted to stay. Linebackers coach Brian Jean-Marie, who I think is one of the most underrated coaches on the staff, $665,000, and he is under contract through the 2024 season. Jerry Mack, running backs coach, $500,000. He's under contract through 2024. Kelsey Pope, who got the promotion from an analyst to wide receivers coach prior or lives last offseason, he's going to make $250,000 in 2023. And it will go up to two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in twenty twenty-four. And the last year of his contract is twenty twenty-four. Mike Eckler, special teams coordinator as well as outside linebackers coach, five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars is what he makes, and his contract runs through twenty twenty-four. Willie Martinez, again as I mentioned, five hundred forty thousand dollars. It's an increase. I'm not sure what he was making. Uh, prior to this year, but he did get an increase in salary up to $540,000, but not an extension to his contract. His contract only until 2023, through the 2023 season. So in January 31st, 2023, his contract will expire. So a lot of a lot of people that are not happy with him, potentially, you know, that, that could be the end of his Tennessee tenure if things don't improve or if he wants to go elsewhere or if Heupel does not want to retain him or whatever. His contract is up after next season, essentially. Uh, Alec Ablin, new tight ends coach for Tennessee, $243,750. And that will go to 20 or that will go to $250,000 in 2024. He's under contract through 2025. And then of course, Josh Heupel, he is college football's newest $9 million man. And his contract runs through 2028. So again, you look at all the coaches and kind of how long they're under contract for 2028. That's the head coach, Josh Heupel. There are one, two, Three coaches who are under contract through 2025. That's Joey Halsley. That is Glenn Ellerby. And that is Alec Ablin. Two of those three are newer assistant coaches at the staff. So that makes sense. Their contract came a year later than most of the others. And then the rest are all but one. The rest of them are 2024 season with their under contract. That is Tim Banks. That is Rodney Gardner. That is Brian Jean-Marie. That is Jerry Mack. That is now Kelsey Pope. That is Mike Eckler. And then the lone 2023 year when the contract expires, the only one that is Willie Martinez. So uh, one of the, of course, you knew that the that the assistant coaches were going to get a little bit of a bump in pay because of the 11-1 season, the Orange Bowl victory, and all that type of stuff. Uh, that is what it is. Of course, it was um, salaries based and written up on January 31st, but it was announced yesterday at the Board of Trustees meeting and so wanted to kind of share that with you guys here. A little bit of football news, and that is what Tennessee's assistant coaches are making. I got to tell you what right now. I would give anything, anything to make $243,750, okay? That would be a great living for, you know, uh, anybody here in East Tennessee. That'd be amazing, right? 
you would feel like you're rich. You would be very, very wealthy. Um, but for a college coach, an assistant coach who has absolutely no life, again, to be paid that little if you're a college assistant coach, it's kind of shocking. You got to start somewhere, so I respect it. But like Kelsey Pope and Alec Avelin, man, you're not making an awful lot. You're not making as so much as you deserve simply just on the manpower and hours you put into your job. Goodness, goodness gracious. I mean, you're making up there at, you know, 500,000, 665,000, 785,000, 900,000, 850,000. Okay. That's about, you know, that's, that's pretty good, you know, but man, $243,750. That to me is not a whole lot of money, but you got to start somewhere. Kelsey Pope had been an on the field assistant before, but not at this level. And so he got the promotion and, and he started last year and he's making $250,000. He'll make $275,000 next year. So you got to start somewhere. Al Gablin, this is his first ever on the field coaching job. And that's why he's making $243,750. So one of the best that along to you again, the, uh, there's a story Brent Hubs wrote over at VolQuest.com. You guys can go on over there and check it out. Uh, but you knew that this was coming in terms of, um, Giving everybody raises because, hell, Tennessee had a really, really good year, right? And I wanted to get that out here on this podcast. Hey, when we come back, we'll catch up with one of my cohorts over at VolQuest.com, Grant Ramey. We'll, we'll talk Tennessee basketball and how this is such a big-time game coming up, Tennessee and South Carolina. That is coming up next right here on Locked on Vols. I want to tell you about a proud sponsor of the show. That is FanDuel Sportsbook. Midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's America's number one sportsbook because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back on your first bet if it doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to the point spread to three-pointers made, all that good stuff. All right, plus fans even lets you, or plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlay. So you don't want to miss out right now for on your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, of the, of the NBA and the NFL, but we're talking NBA here. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, guys, we roll on here on a Friday show. Tennessee basketball <laughs> needs a win in the worst way possible. And uh, we'll play host for the final Saturday home game at Thompson Bowling Arena against South Carolina tomorrow. And Grant Ramey, VolQuest.com, joining us here today. Grant, um, just off the top, man, how important is this game? I mean, obviously, this is so cliche to say, but it's the biggest game of the year for Tennessee because they're slumping so bad. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, the term palate cleanser comes to mind. Uh, obviously, we saw what they did to South Carolina back in January when they went to Columbia, so you're capable of beating this team by a bunch. Um, you need to come back, handle your business at home after a rough, whatever it's been now, three weeks for this basketball team. 
you got a chance to win big. You need to win big. You need to take care of business. It needs to be no question from start to finish. It needs to be completely locked in, fast start, strong finish, all that. You need to have some of your 40 minutes of some of your best basketball you can play just to kind of erase or get at least out of your mind the taste in your mouth what's happened the last, you know, seven games. I think they lost five of seven at this point to, to kind of distance yourself from that. And you also need to hope you can get Julian Phillips back, and I think you hope you can get Josiah Jordan-James back and then kind of see what this team looks like at full strength because we haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, that was my next question. What's the latest on those two players, Julian Phillips and Josiah Jordan-James, both been out for the last three and a half games or so? It's, it feels like right. it's been a while. I think there's a chance Julian plays. I think Julian wants to play. Uh, people have been asking if he's shutting it down, if he's somebody that's just focused on there. I don't think that's the case at all. I think he's tired of sitting. I think he wants to play. Uh, with Josiah, he talked at Big Orange Tip-Off Club, strangely enough, Wednesday, right after that loss at uh, College Station Tuesday night to Texas A&M. And he said, barring any setbacks, the plan is for him to try to play. Uh, he wanted to. He said at the time that he wanted to go to practice Thursday. We didn't see practice Thursday. We'll see him on Friday, see if he's a little bit more of an active participant than we've seen in recent weeks. Uh, South Carolina game means a little bit more for him. He's a Charleston guy. That's his home state. Uh, and so that game always has a little different meaning for those in-state guys, for Julian Phillips as well. He's a, a Blackwood, South Carolina kid. So uh, if you can get those guys back and, and just kind of see how quickly they can kind of plug back in and, and see what they can give you and if there's any rust there to knock the rust off. Because this team really needs help personnel-wise because to me it looks like the, the eight guys they're leaning on have just kind of been gassed. I think in Texas A&M the second half, I was impressed they got it back within one. After getting down nine, I thought it was over then. Uh, but to me, once they couldn't get over that hump, I thought it looked like it was a little bit tired and, and they need some more bodies out there. What happens to Jemai Mayshack if both these guys come back to the lineup? you got to find ways to get him minutes. Uh, Jemai's been too good not to have minutes. Uh, he's, you know, what he did against Kentucky, he's not going to do that every now on the offensive end. What he did against Alabama last week, shutting down Brandon, that's not going to happen every night on the defensive end. But it does feel like he's progressing in that direction. Defensively, it's basically always been there. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the SEC, if not in college basketball. The offense is always going to be something where it's touch and go. His jumper is better this year than it was last year, much better year-over-year year improvement. I don't know if there's ever going to be, at least not in the foreseeable future, near future, uh, a consistency there with that jump shot. But if he can drive, he can attack. More than anything, it looks like he wants to be aggressive and try to get something done, which for this team that passes way too much, that, that seems to ignore the shot clock at times for whatever reason, I don't get to have somebody that wants to attack and wants the ball in their hand and wants to make something happen, I think that's really positive stuff. You know, Rick Barnes says in post game, you know, the last you know five, seven games or whatever, saying, "Hey, you know, we're going to figure it out." These guys work too hard not to figure it out. Kind of what's your takeaway from that? It, it's a, it's not like he get up there and say, "Well, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I don't have any answers. We suck." But at the same time, I mean, this team has not figured it out how to climb out of this hole. But Barnes remains confident and believes that, believes in his guys. I mean, time's running out. You got three regular season games left, and you got the SEC tournament, however long that lasts. And then you got the NCAA tournament, wherever you're seated, however the chips fall there. Uh, you never know. Uh, time is running out, and they do need to figure this out quickly. Uh, but at the same time, part of me goes back to a year ago where they were playing down the stretch out of their minds. They were playing really, really good basketball at the last part of the regular season. And they obviously went to Tampa. They won the SEC tournament. Since they hadn't done that since the late 70s, 1979. So that was obviously a big deal. And they went into the first round of the NCAA tournament, and they hit 14 threes or whatever, and they blissed Longwood. I mean, it was never really a contest. And then you go to the second round, and you play one bad night, and you're out. So 
part of me wants to say, you know, you better figure it out because the clock's ticking and time's running out. You're getting towards March. But at the same time, if you get to March and you play two good games, then you go to the second weekend and it's like, okay, we're playing our best basketball right now at the right time. So as quickly as it was shut off last year, I think it could be that quickly turned back on this year. This team could figure that stuff out because what I learned a year ago is it doesn't really matter what you look like in the regular season. It doesn't matter what you look like in the conference tournament. It only matters that night in the NCAA tournament who's, who's on the other side of the floor uh, and how you're performing against that opponent. Grant Ramey, VolQuest.com. Uh, Grant's, you, you look at um, Santiago Vescovi, what he did at Texas A&M. Of course, you're down two starters, Julian Phillips and Josiah Jordan-James, been out with them. And then you thought for a little bit, you were kind of wondering what you were going to get from Santiago Vescovi, uh, battling some illness from where he was to what he did. I think he had 14 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. I mean, he was he was all over the place. Have you seen an effort like that in quite a while from a Tennessee basketball player? It's, it's been a while. That dude was an animal. And, and it was in the second half, too, when he was hitting big shots. And he was doing a ton when, when Tennessee really needed him, somebody to do something, basically. They needed somebody to carry them. And it felt like Santi was the guy. And on Monday, we were told he's, he's probably not going to practice. He's not feeling well, which if you're, you know, if you're not feeling well, that's one thing. But then we see him come out of the tunnel, and he's got this big winter jacket on, thick winter jacket. He's got the hood pulled up. And you could tell he just wasn't going to be able to warm up like, you know, you know how it feels when you're where you're sick and you just can't get warm and, and you're under blankets or whatever. I thought, how's this kind of guy? How's this guy going to from this to 24 hours? He's going to play a competitive basketball game against a tough opponent on the road in a, in a you know a tough place to play when it's sold out like that. And for him to go there and give you 36 minutes, yeah, he turned it over five times. That was unfortunate, but for him to do whatever it was, 14, 10, and seven under those circumstances when Tennessee's already shorthanded. Uh, you take Santi out of that game and you're getting blitzed. So for them to be able to rely on him the way they did, that, that was one tough performance right there. All right, Grant, tell us about South Carolina. Of course, Tennessee, as you already mentioned, you know, blitzed them in Columbia uh, about a month ago, a little over a month ago. Wasn't even close. Uh, 230th in the net where Tennessee is ranked third still. Uh, quad one record is one and seven. Coming at Kentucky, that lone win about a month ago. Of course, Tennessee's got a couple of quad one wins as well. But well, what about South Carolina outside of Gigi Jackson? Outside of Gigi Jackson, that's a great question because I don't, I don't know really who's going to get it done for them. What was important for Tennessee at South Carolina in January was Gigi was scoreless, I think. I think he was 0 for 8. Obviously, he's a talented five-star kid, and he's going to be have to be the guy that carries the load for them if they're going to have a chance. What I didn't think about South Carolina – Back then, was they were going to go to Kentucky the next night or the next game out and win that game at Rupp Arena, and for them to take Alabama to overtime Wednesday night, you know, Brandon Miller went off for 41 and had the, the game that he did, but for them to to be in that game like they were, uh, for the number two team to be in the country in your, in your gym, it still looks like there's a ton of empty seats. So it's been a really bad season for them. They're they're kind of battling LSU as that team that's the worst in the league by a long shot. Uh, for them to be able to take Alabama to overtime makes you wonder what exactly they're capable of, and it's something you have to have your guard up for if you're Tennessee because, obviously, Tennessee's been struggling. But that's why I said Tennessee's going to get a fast start and really play strong in front of a home crowd because, obviously, if you if you look at results just head-to-head coming in, if you can take Alabama to overtime, you can play with anybody. Yeah, Tennessee beat Alabama, of course, but uh, that two-point win in overtime, the closest margin of victory for Alabama in Southeastern Conference play. Last thing, you kind of brought up Alabama there. I want to ask about Brandon Miller, kind of what's your – What's your situate or what's your stance on that whole crazy fiasco um, that, that went down there? That's so unfortunate that resulted in a loss of life and thoughts and prayers to that family. But obviously, Brandon Miller's name is being linked to it. So with the firearm and all that, and 
Um, he's continuing to play such a dynamic, really talented freshman. Uh, kind of what's your stance on all that? I thought what NATO said in his press conference was, I don't know what the word is, irresponsible, uh, just That's very, right. yeah, it was, it was bad. He made a, he made an already bad situation a lot worse because it no. felt like I didn't, I didn't hear him, but I read what he said and it, the quotes looked like, I'm going to handle this once. I'm going to take questions on this once. I'm going to say he's not in any trouble and we're going to move on. It's going to be water. Well, that can't happen. Obviously this is real world stuff. And, and, so for him to say wrong place, wrong time, there's one person in the wrong place in the wrong time on that night. It was the lady that's dead right now. The, yeah. the victim who just got shot because she didn't have any interest in these other two guys or whatever the situation was. So for him to say it and phrase it like that, and he's not in any kind of trouble and all this stuff. It's just, I can't imagine the victim's family hearing that and what their reaction to Nate saying that would be, because it, I mean, you're already devastated, but for him to come back and say that it's, it's going to be like, I don't know, ripping off the bandaid, but, you know, if investigators say he didn't break the law, then he didn't break the law. They would know it better than I do. I don't know Alabama state law and all that stuff. So if they say he didn't break the law, that's one thing. The rest of it is on the University of Alabama. If he's going to be treated like Brandon Miller, the future, you know, lottery pick and the guy that's carrying you to a number three ranking and about to be an SEC regular season championship and, and all that stuff. Or if he gets treated like, you know, every other student on that campus. If you're a regular student and you're a part of that, I don't know if you just kind of fleece by and nothing happens. Now, if Alabama keeps to playing him and starting him and it's business as usual for them, then they're just inviting a ton of criticism and a ton of noise and all that stuff. I mean, every at every turn, you're going to keep hearing about it because it's not just going to go away quickly because he's the best player on your team. He's the best player in the league. He's one of the best players in college basketball. He is a superstar, no doubt about it. I mean, look at what he did at South Carolina scoring 41 points. So he's going to be the biggest topic on one of the best teams in the country. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to just keep hearing about it. And if you're fine hearing about it and having all that noise, then, then so be it, do your thing. But that's kind of my stance on it. And again, that's why we're bringing this up on a Vols podcast because it's the best player uh, in a league, uh, you know, uh, against a, for a really, really good team. So that's why, uh, unfortunately, this is news. Uh, Grant, appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. What do you got coming up on the website over the next couple of days? Basketball, man. Basketball, basketball, basketball. It's a fun time of year. Uh, what is it, a week and a half now? I guess basically a week left in the regular season at this point because Saturday after Saturday you got two games left and, and then championship week with conference tournaments and then March Madness. I, I don't know I don't know a better time of year. And, and you sprinkle in the fact that it's 75 degrees outside and uh, all the better. Yeah, uh, check out Grant's work. He does an awesome job. He joined us two months uh, after we went to on three and he's already written like twice as many bylines than any of us combined so but but it's all garbage so you know, <laughs> it's it's all cool it's all quantity it's no quality i promise you <laughs> i doubt that all right great appreciate it man see you bud all right that is grant ramey one of my co-workers over at volquest.com it's quality work quantity as well but it is quality work for sure check out his stuff over at volquest.com uh we will dive into the nuts and bolts we'll discuss exactly what this matchup is for tennessee and south carolina uh big time game tennessee's gotta have this one we'll come up and preview uh tennessee and south carolina in segment number three of locked on balls when we return all right guys and gals we got a final segment left of your friday locked on balls i'm eric kane welcome back into it always hit me up at underscore caner and at Locked On Balls. If you have any questions or you want to be a part of the show, uh, had a lot of greats, um, had a lot of really great comments uh, on the show yesterday about Nico or Joe, Nico or Joe. I'm going to read a couple of them out here. Let's see here. Um, F Austin 4955. Joe should be the starter. 
Um, Mark Smith, 60, 68. I want to see Joe start and have a great year, but I don't, I don't care who starts as long as they're the one that gives us the best chance to succeed and win. That's a, that's a really good point. Selena says, I trust our coach 100 emoji to start the best guys in every position. We finally have a great coaching staff. I would agree with that. See here, UK Vol. Well, that's interesting. Or maybe that could be University of Knoxville Vol. Ideally, it's Joe. It's hard to replicate experience, especially in this offense. Also, while Joe has struggled at times, I think he's improved. It'll be a little while before we can find out how much. Yes, it is his job until proven otherwise. See, I would agree with that for sure. Agent Orange says, I want Joe to start and Nico to get some experience and clean up. Uh, with the weight issue as a non-issue, Nico was 200 pounds. So was Jaden Daniels all year last year, and he went to the SEC championship game. Listen, I know Nico might be listed at 200. He ain't no 200 pounds, or at least he won before he got to Tennessee. I can tell you that full fact. He's tall, and I understand tall people weigh more, but he was a rail, and he's got to put on some weight, no, no doubt about it. Uh, last one I'll read. Dylan, this is from Dylan. Uh, this year is Joe Milton's year, unless he gets hurt or struggles badly. I'm looking forward to seeing Nico play as much as any Tennessee fan, but starting a freshman, a quarterback too early can hurt his development. I agree 100 emoji with that for sure. All right, let's transition. Tennessee basketball, as you know, we were kind of talking with Grant uh, in the last segment. Tennessee and South Carolina, 6 o'clock at Thompson Bowling Arena. It's going to be the last Saturday game at TBA, so um, if you're going, kind of savor it because you won't get to go to a Saturday game at TBA again until next year. It'll be on the SEC Network again, tip off at 6 o'clock. Uh, Tennessee's ranked number 11th in the AP, 20-8, and 9-6 in the SEC. South Carolina, 10-18 and 18 overall. 3-12 and 12 in Southeastern Conference play. Uh, Tennessee just demolished South Carolina in Columbia about a little over a month ago, 85-42, and uh, Tennessee's won nine of the last ten in this series. Uh, two teams that um, are very different in terms of how they're perceived. Now, Tennessee has been skidding lately, and there's no doubt about that, but Tennessee heading into the week is still ranked number three according to the net. South Carolina, on the other hand, is ranked 230th in the net, which is not good. Tennessee has five quad one wins under their belts. Carolina is one in seven in quad one games, only beating Kentucky at Rupp earlier in January. That's got to make you frustrated, right? Uh, Tennessee still has the nation's best adjusted defensive efficiency per Ken Palm, allowing 86.2 points per game per 100 possessions. Uh, nation's best defensive adjusted defensive efficiency rating per Kempom, allowing 86.2 points per 100 possessions. That's really good. They've been ranked number one pretty much the entire season. Nation's best field goal percentage defense at 35%, three-point defense at 25%, and the third best scoring defense in the nation at 57 points per game. So we know about that, right? We know all about Tennessee's defense and how it's been really, really good. It's just the offense. You need to have some consistency on offense, and hell, we'll see if Julian Phillips, we will see if um, – and Josiah Jordan James can come back in the lineup and, and kind of give Tennessee a boost and uh, let the let the shooters shoot, let the rebounders get in there, and you know we'll just we'll see. Well, it's just it's you're in the midst you're in the midst of this slump right now. It's just kind of like I mean you, you've almost got to speak it into existence, but you're so demoralized because you just continue to see the same things over and over. That's what a slump is, right? More on South Carolina. It's coming off a 78-76 home loss, home overtime loss to number two Alabama. A uh, really, really good game against Alabama. So, again, if you're a Tennessee fan, that should give you some pause because I think everybody's, like, just assuming, oh, we got South Carolina. You got that one South Carolina. That's the only guaranteed win you have. Well, I mean, after just coming up short in overtime by two points to number two Alabama, 
That that might make you think differently a little bit. Uh, of course, Alabama lost to Tennessee, but prior to that Tennessee loss, that two-point loss on the road to Columbia two nights ago was the closest game in SEC play Alabama's had. Um, prior to the loss, South Carolina had won two of three games, both on the road, Ole Miss and LSU. So beating Ole Miss on the road, beating LSU on the road, and beating Kentucky on the road, the only three SEC wins South Carolina has on the year. And that's three of four wins that they have overall on the road this year. Four of six on the road so far this year is South Carolina. I mentioned the net ranking. They're 230th. They're one and seven in quad one games. And they really hang their hat on highly touted former number one overall prospect in the country. That is freshman Gigi Jackson. 15.7 points per game. 6.2 rebounds per game. Jemai Meshack or uh, Tennessee, other, uh, whereas not really Meshack, did a pretty good job overall with him in the first meeting. And then also sophomore guard. Um, Michi Johnson, that Ohio State transfer, scored 19 against Tennessee the first game. He's averaging 12 points per game. He's averaging 17.5 points per game over his last four games. So that's really all that South Carolina kind of has. But in playing inspired basketball, nearly pulled off the upset over Alabama a couple nights ago. So Tennessee needs to be ready for that for sure. Will Tennessee break out of the slump? We'll find out. Will Josiah Jordan-James and Julian Phillips play? We'll find out. All that will be told in 40 minutes. Come tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, and you can watch on the SEC Network. Tennessee baseball back in action against Dayton over the weekend. I've got your full coverage over at VolQuest.com if you want to follow along there. And uh, we'll come back and talk about it all on Monday's Locked On Vols. Appreciate you guys for tuning in as you do each and every day, liking and subscribing to the Vol- to the uh, Locked On Vols YouTube channel. Please help me there. Give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Rate me five stars. All that stuff helps me so much and helps get this podcast out there. So appreciate you guys as always. Thank you so much. If you're going to the games this weekend, whether it be basketball or baseball or whatever, have fun, stay safe, and uh, how about this? Same time, same place. We'll do it again on Monday. This is Locked On Balls.